stationed, so to speak, up in Bangor, Bangor Baptist Church. Um, Chris, before we met you there, how long had you been there? Two years, I think. You, two years. Yeah. <laughs> An ambush. Yeah, well, it was a great ambush. So all of a sudden, we kind of find out about this guy, Chris, with a funny name, which starts with a G that's not pronounced, Nyanakin. And uh, we started a relationship with him, and one of those situations where you go, why didn't we know you were there sooner? And then my second question was that I always had in my mind is, why on earth were you in Bangor, Maine? That one's still never been answered other than, well, it was God's will at the time and all of that. Well, Dr. Chris Nanakin has become a very good friend of our church. He's one of our missionaries. He's with uh, OTAN, which is Overseas Training of Asian Nationals. The last several weeks, uh, I've been mentioning him Sunday mornings to pray for him, usually quite vaguely because uh, many of the countries that he travels to are countries where not Christianity is not, where Christianity is not welcomed with open arms. And uh, he and his team are at great peril, in fact, when they uh, go into some of these countries with all that they are about in the name of Jesus. And so you've only gotten these little micro snippets of Dr. Nanakin, and he's just really quite freshly back from his latest excursion, which ran pretty much from June till now. And I did mention it, I'm going to mention it again for your benefit, that uh, you know, the missionaries, the pastors, the guys out there in ministry and all, we get the spotlight, we get the attaboys, we get the pats on the backs and everything else, while our wives and our support teams and staff and everything else are just kind of there and way too often taken for granted. But you realize with, uh, with a man like Chris Nanakin who travels the world routinely, that while he's doing so, Dorothy, his dear wife, is willingly giving up that companionship with her husband for all that time that he's gone. And uh, when he's not traveling the globe right now, at least this season of life, he's at Liberty University where he's part of the faculty there. And uh, he was with us a year ago, and he's uh, graced us by uh, coming and visiting with us today. And we are just really thrilled to have him. I'm going to ask him to come on up now. He's going to be giving us a continuation of what he began in the first service. Um, and both of those, though, are being recorded. Both of them will be posted and will be available at our website to uh, listen to them through the computer or to burn your own CD or cut your own MP3 file for your MP3 player. Dr. Nanakin. Thank you, Pastor Bill. It's my honor to know your pastor and Barbara as friends. I'll tell you when he became endeared to me, along with Barbara and Dorothy and I said, you know, this is a couple we need to hold on to. You know, those of us who are transient, you know, we pass, for, uh, we meet a lot of people. Of course, all you Americans look alike anyway. So. <laughs> now you know how the Chinese feel when you say that. <laughs> um, you know, your dear pastor and Barbara drove all the way to Bangor to meet us. I mean, the, those were two years I was discerning God's call. And as I'm going to show you this morning, sometimes you can do more by doing less. You really can. If you learn, you know, many of us are in Maine, we're working hard and we're working long. The problem is we're not working smart and we're not working right. And so I said, I've got to choose my friends at a time like this. I don't want to run around like a chicken with his head cut off. 
I said, I, I do want to focus on what God wants me to do. And God called me uh, from my professorial chair. Uh, you know, sometimes you can be in these armchair theologies places in our high towers in Oxford and Cambridge. And you don't realize that God is looking for the lost, the last, and the least, maybe even the lonely among us. And so I chose, I said, I've got to have a few churches that I can work to and open a window into God's world, so to say, in a representative way of those countries where people cannot go into, particularly from America, to do what others don't, won't, and can't. The only thing Jesus asked us to do is to make disciple-makers exponentially. That's the only thing we do. Yeah, we have basket weaving in Laos. We have pig farms in Myanmar. We have coffee houses in China. We have a few restaurants on the border of North Korea. But, you know, the, the primary task that we do is to make disciple-makers of nationals. Because nationals can reach nationals in a more effective way. Can you grow mangoes in Maine, by the way? How many of you like mangoes? All right. Can you grow mangoes in Maine? The, an the answer is you can, but it's not worth it. I mean, by the time you create the hothouse conditions and the alluvial soil, I mean, it's, you might as well go to get the Jamaicans to import stuff, you know. I mean, that's what we're doing in missions many times. I think God has called us in a globalized world where global trends are shaping local culture and where local culture is creating global waves to work together. None of us are as good as all of us put together. And when Barbara and Pastor Bill drove all the way Olive Gardens, thank you, and uh, took us out, and we sat, and we, I mean, there was some kind of a bonding. Of course, we looked like each other, you know, so much. Uh, and uh, since then, uh, you have always been dear to my heart. In fact, this message that I prepared, I asked the Lord, what do you want me to say to a church like here in, you know, Faith Evangelical Free in Waterville? Uh, and he put this burden on my heart to share about a church that Paul wrote to in Philippi. And I want to share with you. And, and you know, we, I may not remember all your names because I kind of, I'm trying to see if I can come once a year. I go to a camp nearby and en route. I'll kind of sandwich my time. Certainly a Saturday I will definitely, because I finish camp on Friday, maybe Saturday morning. So I have committed to come once a year, at least for a Saturday evening, just to renew fellowship, to stay abreast, to give you an update on what God is doing in these 10 restricted access countries where we work as outreach to Asian nationals. So that's my commitment. I may do a Sunday like this, but I've also got a few other churches that kind of torment me uh, around. I mean, I used to be a mentor to them. Now they are tormentors to me. So uh, I do need to respect that also. But, you know, it's a joy. It's almost when I come to Laura Corbett's house with Tim, it's almost like a Bethany for me, you know. Uh, I recently had a little mishap with my toe, and they literally nursed me back to health and strength. So that's wonderful uh, to, to know each one of you. Again, uh, I will try and remember your names, but if not, forgive me. Uh, Pastor Bill was mentioning in the first uh, service about remembering the names of all your kids and your grandkids and how they forget which number and name and so on. I'm just waiting for Pastor Brent to have grandkids. <laughs> And, and I want to challenge people to remember the grandkids' names, you know. I don't know. He seems to be taking the first mandate very seriously. Go forth and multiply. He's like, okay, you know. Um, I'm in the, you know, the last commandment and the great commission. He's taking, he's still on the first commission. Anyway, um, I hope he's not here in the service. And I, tell him I like him, okay. Um, 
the, the, the challenge for me today is to present uh, what I really believe with all my heart is, is the key for evangelization. Laura, did I leave my, my phone over there accidentally? Sorry, I need my i6. I have a relationship with my phone. and uh, Thank you so much. I got all my notes here, by the way. Sorry, this, that's the only reason. And um, I've been opening the book of Philippians and doing a kind of a exegetical, if not an exposition of that first chapter. And I did half in the first service, and I want to complete uh, the second half. So uh, it's wonderful to be able to minister uh, literally life-giving words, the wonderful words of life. So would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1? You know, when I thought about the jokes and remembering names, uh, sometimes we have some pastors who try to crack jokes and it's not funny or they miss the punchline. That is so embarrassing when you miss the punchline. It reminds me of a junior pastor who traveled along and, and, you know, the senior guy used to crack some crazy jokes. And he said, you know, how come I don't, I'm not funny? He said, I'm going to follow him and, and so that I can learn how to share jokes. So he comes to this church and this pastor is preaching uh, for this special occasion. It happens to be, you know, kind of Mother's Day program. And he stands before the audience, the senior pastor, the younger guy is sitting there. And the pastor opens by asking the question. He says, you know, last night I spent in the arms of a woman and she's not my wife. Who is she? Because the church kind of, you know, thought a little and he said, you know, I visited my mom <laughs> and everybody was like, yeah, that's funny. And the guy said, that's a good joke. So, and he preached on Mother's Day. So next time, the younger guy, don't tell Pastor Brent about this, but the, the next guy, he, he, he goes to this church and he says, I've got to use that joke. So he stands up between this audience, you know, this huge august group of people. And he says, you know, last night I spent in the arms of a woman and it's not my wife. Who is she? And the church was flabbergasted. He would say something sacrilegious like this in a holy sanctuary. They kind of stared him down. The guy got so scared, he forgot. And he goes, oh my word, it's the senior pastor's wife. (laughs) He was so embarrassed. The next church, he said, I've got to remember the punchline. It's very serious. It's my mother. I've got to remember. How can I forget? So again, he goes to this church and he starts. He says, you know, last night I spent in the arms of a woman and she's not my wife. Who is she? Again, the church was shocked and terrified. He would bring such an off-color joke to church. And they stared at him and he got totally lost his trend of thought. He says, oh my God, I forgot who she is. (laughs) That would be embarrassing. But Philippians chapter 1 is something that I remember very fondly with our church. I want to read this very quickly to you. And while I'm reading it, I want you to take an, a writing instrument, a pen or whatever, and highlight something. Paul starts in verse 1. Paul and Timothy are servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. That was where they were geographically. But they were, with, they were in Christ spiritually with the overseers and the deacons. He's talking about eldership and leadership. Deacons. By the way, church, everything either rises or falls on leadership. Very important. Leaders are important. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from my Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers. Always in every prayer of mine for you. Making my prayer with joy. Making my request with joy. Joy is characteristic of this letter that Paul wrote. He says, why? Well, he explains. He says, because of your, here's the word, underline that, partnership 
in the what, church? In the what? Say it a little louder. In the gospel, okay? We're going to see this word a few times now. Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the very first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And he talks about the day of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. All right? Verse 7, he says, it's just right for me to think this of you all, because I hold you dear in my heart. I have you in my heart. For you are, again, here's the word, partakers with me of grace. What a way to belong to a community. Grace upon grace. Both, he says, not just in the goodness of grace, but in the imprisonment and it's for the defense and he talks about underline this confirmation of the what class confirmation of the oh come on say it confirmation of the yeah they have a partnership in the and here is for the confirmation of the for god is my witness you see how i yearn for all of you with the affection of christ jesus it's my prayer by the way verse 3 to 11 is basically paul's prayer he says it's my prayer that your love and they loved each other they were really affectionate in christ may abound more and more and he says in knowledge there are a lot of people who love but they're brain dead you know they infatuated uh, and paul says listen you got to be rooted in the knowledge of jesus christ if you want to have that agape love and by the way, he says, not just knowledge, but in all discernment, that you'll have this power to discern right and wrong in a moral malaise that we find ourselves in Maine. You need discernment. And he's praying for that. What a lovely thing to pray for our church. So that you may approve. And we need people to be approved. Paul talks about being approved unto God. And he says, you know what? You need to approve what is excellent. For Paul, excellence or the standard is always Jesus Christ. So he goes back to that uh, par excellence of Jesus or Christ-likeness, he says, so that you may be pure and blameless. Boy, how we need that. Again, he repeats what he said in verse 6, for the day of Christ. He's looking for that day. Filled with the fruits of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory and praise to God. Something like we celebrated just now in worship. Now, for this service, I want to look at verse 12 onward. He says, I want you to know brothers, that's kind of a generic term, Adolphi, which include women, just in case you get all upset and say Paul was male chauvinist. He's, he's talking about men and women, that what has happened to me has really served, what's the next phrase? Served for what? The advancement or the progress of the? Oh, come on, the progress of the? Confirmation of the gospel, Paul's proclamation of the gospel, he's there for the defense of the gospel, and now he says, whatever happened to me has turned out for the advancement or progress of the gospel. It thinks like it's all about the gospel, isn't it? So that you may become, you may, it may become well known throughout the whole imperial God. I want you to ha- latch on to that. Paul is in prison, and he's surrounded by the imperial God, Roman soldiers, who took their shifts like the change in God who came to him constantly to make sure the guy is alive and between they beat him up to so for his final trial. Guess what's Paul doing with the imperial God? He's gossiping the gospel. He's sharing that with them. And I mentioned in the last service that he's so effective that as a result of sharing the gospel with these gods, people, chapter 4 verse 22, from Caesar's household, Caesar's family get saved. The gospel goes all the way to the emperor. And people in his family send their greetings to the church at Philippi. Amazing. You're here in church and you're wondering, why is this happening to me? Why me, Lord? 
Why now? I really don't deserve it. Paul says, listen, take your eyes off yourself. It's not about you. You make a small package anyway. Look at the gospel. It's big. It's going somewhere. And he says, get engaged. Connect yourself. Get on board with what God is doing. No matter where you are, he's placed you there intentionally. And you say, well, I'm going through a lot of disappointment this morning. You know what? Our disappointments are often God's appointments. He really wants to work something in and through you. Are you in our church this morning? You feel a little down and discouraged. Cheer up. It's going to get worse. No, no. I mean, no. For the advance of the gospel. So that it has become known, verse 13, throughout the imprisonment, and to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's always about Christ. Christ this, Christ that. Most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold and here for the proclamation of the gospel or to speak forth the word without fear. And now this is the part I want to emphasize. You know, someone said to live above with saints we love, that will be glory. But to live below with these saints we know, that's another story. I mean, sometimes we just don't get along with each other. Last night I was sharing with the group. We had a great time of fellowship. The number one reasons why, reason why missionaries leave the mission field is other missionaries. They can't get along with each other. I also shared the number one reason why people don't go to church. You know why? They've been there before. And they've had a bad experience. But Paul says, listen, some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. But others out of goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. For the what of the gospel? For the defense. That's where we get the word apologetics or apology for the defense of the gospel. And how we need that. In the first service I talked about the confirmation of the gospel. How people want to know. Does that really work? But we also need people who are willing to defend the faith. We're living in perilous times that calls the church to stand. And look what's happened to us in America. We are not standing for anything. That's why we are falling for everything that comes out of the White House sometimes. We need to be able to take a stand and say, listen, there is a thing called constitution. There is a thing called freedom of religion. There is a thing by which you can say, by this I stand and I can do none other. Whatever happened to that boldness? I mean, the world used to look for America to dictate to us about what democracy is and show us what democracy looks like. And we've come to a time where there's nine people in a room and five out of the nine, two of them who are you know, practicing homosexuals, can define what religion is to the rest of the 50 states. I don't know, is that democracy? I'm not American, I'm just asking the question. Think about it. If so, what is the church doing? I mean, I'm not into politics. I don't know anything. I'm, I'm, I'm visiting. But I just want to know, what does democracy mean? Is that off the people, by the people, for the people? Is that what it means? I don't know. So what are the decisions? We need this defense of the gospel. We need to stand up. The latter, he says, do it out of love knowing that I'm here for the defense of the God. He says, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, you get that, not sincerely, but thinking, and here's the point, to add affliction to me. 
to add to my affliction and my imprisonment. Paul is already facing such difficulty in the proclamation of gospel. And now there are so-called preachers of the another gospel who are actually adding to his affliction. And Paul has gone through all that shipwreck and beaten up with rods and piled under stones. And he says, you know what really concerns me? The care of all the churches. I mean, he's not even worried about being beaten up. He says, you know, I just wonder how the church is doing. It goes on. I mean, this is the text. It's not just what I feel. Listen to what he says. He says, what then? Verse 13, I like that. So what? He says, I'm going to really get mad. Everybody hates me. Nobody loves me. I'm going to eat worms and die. No, no. That's not what he says. Listen to what he says. He says, what then? What then? He says, only that in every way, whether in pretense, and that's happening, or in truth, thank God, Christ is proclaimed, and therein I rejoice. Church, have we taken our eyes off Jesus? Is the main thing the main thing for you? I mean, that's what it is. The main thing is to keep the main thing as the main thing, and the main thing is a plain thing, the gospel. It's very simple. We shouldn't sophisticate it. Yes, he says, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus, that this will turn out to my deliverance. Verse 21, I am eager. It is my eager expectation and my hope that I will not be all ashamed, but with full courage. Do you see that? So this is not me giving my opinion. This is Paul telling the churches, you need courage. It's sad in America when you need a movie called Courageous to Motivate Us. Come on. The gospel should make us courageous. Now, as always, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live is Christ. To die is what? Gain. For I am in the flesh, it means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which shall I choose? I cannot tell. Paul is confused. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, be with Christ, which is far better. But notice, Paul's not thinking about himself. Who is he thinking about? Verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. On whose account? For your account. Thank God for ministers, for church leaders who are altruistic. We're thinking about others. And he's going to give two examples. A guy called Epaphroditus who really got sick because he was worried Paul was sick. I mean, what a way to love he says, others, I know that I will remain and continue for your progress. Here's the word again. For your advance, for your progress and joy. That's a theme. Unity and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause for the glory, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you. Only, here's very important, only let your, well the word is conversation, which literally means your manner of life, your lifestyle. Let your lifestyle be what, church? Look at the next phrase. Let your lifestyle be what? Worthy of the... Oh, come on. Worthy of the gospel. Your proclamation of the gospel. Defense of the gospel. Because you need to live a life worthy of the gospel. He says, so whether I come and see you or an apps, I make sure that you are standing firm and you are with one mind striving together, side by side, for the faith of the there you go, boy, now you're getting it. Good morning, smell the coffee. For the gospel. He says, I'm not frightened in anything by, your, by my opponents. Why? Because this is a clear sign to them of their destruction. But for you, what? Salvation. 
And I was sharing with the group last night. I mean, what is the alternative if we go our own ways away from God? It's either salvation or, or, or destruction. That's what he says there in that passage. For it has been granted. By the way, that word granted from the root Doron is literally gifted. It has been gifted to you not only to believe in the name of Jesus, but what else? Look, look, look at that verse. It has been granted unto you not only to believe for Christ's sake, but you must also do what? Wow. Suffer for that name's sake. And then he uses in verse 30, my theme, engaged in the same conflict. You are participating. You are sharing in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. There are several things in this passage I want to highlight. But I want to start by saying there can be no motion without friction. There can be no motion without friction. Last service, I established the fact that no matter what happens to us, Paul was bound in prison. But you know what? The gospel was not bound. The gospel I established was unstoppable. It was making advancement. I was sharing last night again about uh, North Vietnam. The northern part of Vietnam is a very interesting place to do missions. I mean, most Americans think of Vietnamese and say, man, one guy said, shoot those guys. Last time, in fact, I was in Maine, and, and the person next door knew that I was going to Vietnam, and he said, is there anything I can do to help what you're doing in Vietnam? And he came, he gave me a sizable gift, he, he gave some literature that I could distribute or whatever, and he said, the last time I was there was killing the guys you showed me who are church planters today. So many of us have sad or bad memories for whatever reason of Vietnam. When we went to Vietnam, and by the way, thank you. Let me, let me say, did you know that this book of Philippians is in the Bible because Paul cared to stop and write a thank you letter to the church that sent him his missionary gift? Did you know that? Aren't you glad he wrote a thank you letter? It's in your Bible now called the book of Philippians. And Paul says to them, and listen, I want you to know that I'm very thankful for your partnership. I deeply appreciate it. I love you guys. Three unique characteristics of this church I mentioned. Number one, Paul in this letter alone talks to friends. He's not there to establish his apostleship. Secondly, I showed you this is the only letter he wrote. He had to correct no major doctrine. He's not there. They're doctrinally okay. This is the only letter he wrote that is full of joy and rejoicing, everything positive. And this is the only letter he wrote to a church that participated by literally sending him money. They took up an offering. How many of you have heard verse, chapter 4, verse 19? My God shall supply all your needs, right? According to his riches. Have you seen that plaque in homes? Have you quoted that verse? Well, we sat and ate popcorn and drank Coke and watched the NFL finals, you know, while God's going to supply all my... That is the wrong context. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can't take that text out of its context. Paul was writing to people who had sacrificially, out of their poverty, the superfluous, their giving abounded. And Paul said, listen, you have given out of your poverty for the gospel. My God is going to supply all your needs according to his. That's the context. 
The context in which you can claim that verse, my God will supply all your needs, is in the context of giving to missions. If not, you're taking it out of context. God doesn't just supply our needs because you want a bigger car, better car. That verse is used only because you sacrificially gave for the gospel. Paul says, there's a great trade-off. My God's going to take care of all your needs. Which is better? The bank account you have here or the bank in heaven? According to his riches in glory. What a trade-off. It's exciting. Giving is very important. So this is a unique relationship that Paul had with this church. Very quickly, I want to leave these three things with you. How else can we promote the gospel? I talked in the first service about the confirmation of the gospel, how much we needed, the partnership and proclamation of the gospel, and I talked about the advancement of the gospel. The gospel is unstoppable. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm here to say, this is my unique uh, presentation every time I come, is to open a window into the real world. In South America, in Asia where I'm from, even in Africa where we had Luzon 3, there is unprecedented growth. The church is exploding. All over the place, people are coming to know Jesus Christ. They are laying down their lives. You can't contain it. Christianity as a whole is the fastest growing religion. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. It is. Check it out. Now, Europe and North America is different. Churches are being closed down every day. And we need to ask why. I believe it's very simply, we have not taken seriously the gospel. We've forgotten what really made us great. We have gone on the slippery slope into this comfort zone. And we don't want to be ruffled in any way. And God says, okay, I'll leave you there. And we are in perilous times. I mentioned last service, we are in perilous times. We are peril of things, materialism, consumerism. It used to be you are what you think or you're what you earn. Now it's you are what you buy, consumerism. What a way we've moved on, keeping up with the Joneses. And we are not experiencing power, God's power at work, because we are so self-absorbed by ourselves. Paul says, listen, it's all about the gospel. Are we willing to share the gospel? Paul talks about three days, and I want to pick up where I left out. He said, from the very first day, verse 3. What was that first day he talked about? It was when he first came to Philippi. Until today, that's the second day in Paul's calendar, he lived fully in the moment of what God is doing. Are you fully here? In church, are you? Look at the person next to you and say, are you fully here? You know? I mean, sometimes we could be here, but somewhere else. You know what I mean? In our minds, we are gravitating. When is the guy going to finish? I hope I'm not going to burn my roast. You know, we, we do all that. I mean, it's funny. Uh, this family was back at home and they were sitting around the table and they were discussing, you know, they have preacher for roast and the choir wasn't all that good. I mean, that sermon was too long. Uh, the lady next to me was smelling different, you know, and all these, all these, and they were griping and complaining and complaining. And the little kid said, Mama, for the money we put in that bag, I thought it was a pretty good show. Church has become performance today. And we are entertaining ourselves to death 
rather than edifying people for the gospel. And Paul says, listen, I want, I want you to go back to what really is important. And who's saying this? This is Paul in prison, ready to be executed. And he said, you know, it's all about the gospel. He's sharing it. People in Caesar's household has come to know Christ. And my challenge to us today in church is, are we gossiping the gospel? Last service, we defined what is the gospel. If you don't know what it is, how can you share it? And I simply said, the gospel in one word is Jesus. What about Jesus? Death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. The good news of Jesus. By the way, it's not that Jesus died. That's not good news. I mean, if you open the obituary and you say, you know, Bill Cripe died, would you say that's good news? Someone. Someone. <laughs> you say that's bad news, sad news, whatever else. The early church did not preach Jesus died. Do you know what they preached? Jesus who died is risen again. They were resurrection people. I teach religion. You know what I do? 18 years I've been studying religion at a postgraduate level, writing on this stuff. You can go to every religion in the world and you have the founder on one side. You know what? The founder's dead. You can pick his bones from the grave. You can go to Sabri Malay. You can go to uh, Nepal where in pa pa Pali where, where Buddha is buried or go to Mecca or where Muhammad is. Go to any, any religious site and you find the founder dead still in the tomb. There's only one religion that you can't explain the womb and the tomb. And that's Christianity. We are unique. We should be excited that we serve a risen Savior. I sense something about this when you worship here in this church. We are celebrating someone who's here with us. He's not dead. He's alive. You don't need a movie to tell you that. He's alive. We feel him. We know that. And it is very, very important for us day by day to celebrate the gospel. Are we sharing it? Let me begin by saying, this is how you do it. Three steps, and I want to leave you with the third step in this service. If you missed the first two, don't worry. I think there's some tapes, uh, and you can. I'm happy to send Pastor Bill my outline. I'm from Asia, so copyright means right to copy. No, 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 no not really. Um, no, I, I, please give me the credit and then use what you want, but please use it. You, know, you, you, you can start where God has planted you. Very simply, plant. You're planted here in Waterville. Bloom where he's planted you. That's missions. I was talking to, what's his name, Ray Kilman. My goodness, I was kind of backing off when you came to give me my hand. I was like, okay. He said, you know who I am? I said, well, I really, do I want to know? <laughs> I said, I. But here's, here's Ray, and he's, in, in his, he's doing it right where he is. He told me about his passion for evangelism. I mean, he's going to people that Pastor Bill and I will never go to, we don't want to go to, and they're not going to come to us, are they? I mean, I don't think so. Most of them, I mean, convicts and stuff like that. Praise God. I'm excited about that. There are people who are like us, who are near us. Have you shared the gospel with them? That's missions. People who are near you and like you. Who else can do it better? I mean, I was sitting in several churches. In fact, I was just in England. And the guy who, uh, there said to me, he said, Nyanakin, why don't you come and head up this work in, in Leeds, Bradford? He said, there's a lot of Asians. We'll take care of everything. 
why don't you come and be our minister at large, pump us up for evangelism, do what you can, we'll pay you, we'll work out all the immigration stuff. And I said, Brian, why would I want to come to England? I said, I spent half my time getting you guys lost. He said, what do you mean? I said, because until you're lost, you're not saved. can't get saved. The questions you're asking is different. You're asking, is there a God? Prove it. My people are saying, where's God? I'm hurting. Who's this God? I said, it's a different question. We're not arguing for the existence of God. We are proving the uniqueness of Jesus. We're seeing signs and wonders. Every time I step up, God turns out. It's wonderful doing missions with people who are eager. We have not gone to the nations. Listen to this. The nations are coming to America. And I want to challenge you as a church. Are you prepared to share the gospel where you are to those who are like you? Near you, like you. I'm going to push the boundaries a little in this service. What about those who have come near you from other countries, from other cultures, from religions that you and I don't know? Most of us are losing faith. Jesus said, when I come back, will there be faith? When left, when I, I mean, that's a serious question to ask. I was in a conference. I said, what is the future of the American church? And I said, well, can I ask another question? He said, yeah. I said, is there an American church in the future? Think about that. Read, read eschatology. You know what's happening? Eschatology? Don't worry, it's not the end of the world. I mean, do you... <laughs> some of you got it. I mean, I mean, is there a church or will we amalgamate, become like, I don't know. Where is America in the future and why? These are serious questions. But we haven't gone to the nations. Are you following me? The nations are coming to us. God's putting it in our laps. What else do we want? Are we prepared to share this? Sharing about Gordon Olson kind of shook me up when I heard the stat. Recent research shows by the year 2024, every major city in America will be predominantly Muslim. You check Europe, go to France and Spain and see what's happening. Are we ready to defend the gospel, to confirm the gospel? Are we living lives worthy of the gospel? Are we striving together, side by side, for the faith, article, hopistos, the faith of the Uyongolion, the good news? And these are serious questions. Now I'm going to push the boundary. Being a witness to those who are near you, who are like you. I mean, who else can do it? There's very little cultural gap. What about those who are come near you, but who are not like you, like Kobe College or the community college here. People are coming from all over the world. Are we prepared? Here's the third push. Are you prepared to share the gospel with those who are not near you, who are not like you? Like I do. In Bhutan, in North Korea, in China, Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos. I'm just coming back from Turkey. In Istanbul, just outside We've seen some of those in ISIS come to know Jesus Christ. It's just amazing. The deportation from Syria that's come to Turkey. Amazing things happening among the Kurds. What a privilege. We started a ministry there, and I called it Let's Talk Turkey. <laughs> the guy who's heading that up, Bertie, he, he couldn't figure it. He didn't know it was a pun, but anyway... <laughs> I had to explain. He says, how do you talk about it, this bird? I said, well, no, it's, a, it's an expression. 
But you know, it's so very important. Oh, well, let me mention this. Speaking about Turkey. You know the, the seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3? Where are those? Where are those churches today? Pardon? It's in Turkey. All seven of those churches that John wrote to are in Turkey. Do you, and Turkey was pulsating with Christianity, full of life. But there was a warning. If you don't go back to that first love. You remember that? I will come and remove the what? Candlestick. You know what today? 0.001% of Turkey are anything like Christian. What happened? What happened? Have you thought of that? Between the time John wrote and today, there are hardly any traces. And it's a restricted access country for Christians, Turkey, Istanbul. What happened? Let me ask you this. Can that happen to America? Can that happen to Waterville? Can that happen to me and you? You see the importance of keeping the main thing the main thing. Not to get sidetracked and becoming so involved in all the other things. How, did the, how do we do that? From the very first day. Paul had three days on his calendar. That's very nice, isn't it? By the way, in case some of you are wondering what time I finish, uh, usually people, preachers have a watch, right? I'm from Asia. In Asia, you preach, you don't look at the watch. You look at the calendar. No, 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 not really. <laughs> I will finish by noon, I promise you. All right, listen. If at all, we have to reach others who are not like us and near us, there are three things you need to do or remember. Number one, you have to deal with crossing boundaries. You've got to step out of your comfort zone. Whether it's in Waterville, to those who are near us and like us, you have to step out of your comfort zone. Or as Arbert put it, you've got to get out of the boat if you're going to walk on water. You've got to get out of your comfort zone. Are you willing to? Cross boundaries. Secondly, if you want to do missions, you must be willing to not only cross boundaries, you need to penetrate barriers. That's the second B. You've got to penetrate barriers. You know how you know the difference between a live fish and a dead fish? What's the difference between a live fish and a dead fish? Well, the dead fish floats along the what? Along with the current. The live fish can swim against the current. And you will find, write this down, doors of opportunity swing on hinges of opposition. Whenever God opens a door of opportunity, those doors of opportunity swing on hinges of opposition. Or as Newton put it, there's no motion without friction. You say, but I'm not facing any friction. That's because you're not moving. <laughs> it's called static inertia. Welcome to America. We, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. And I say this, maybe next year if I come, I'll, I'll develop this more. I'm fighting two cultures as a missionary. I'm fighting the culture of dependency overseas. But can I tell you, sir, church, I love you. I'm part of your church. I'm your mission consultant, missionary, whatever. Listen. There is a worse culture in America. You know what it's called? The culture of entitlement. And it will destroy our nation because it's destroying our work ethic. Everybody owes us something, right? Because you're American. 
Really? Paul says, listen. We owe them the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verse 14. I am debtor. I am obligated to share the gospel. I am eager. I'm ready. I agonize. Anytime. Where, where do I need to go? Can you see Paul? I am a debtor. I am ready and eager. And by the way, he says in verse 17, I'm not ashamed. I like the three I am sayings of Paul. You've learned the seven I am sayings of Jesus. Study the three I am sayings of Paul. I am debtor or obligated. I am ready or eager. And I'm not ashamed. Bold to share the gospel. I like those three I am's of Paul. Could you say that? But it didn't take Paul an easy road. I've talked about crossing boundaries. I've talked about penetrating barriers. I do this every day in my life. I chose. You know, Pastor Bill, I think every time is thoughtful of my family. And people ask me, what about your wife and kids? I settled this six years ago when I suddenly realized I may not come back again. You ask soldiers who are deployed what it means to come back in a box. That's because you're American. They bring you back in a box. But if you're like me, Asian, they throw you in a gutter. You're not, you're, you're, I mean, you're, I'm literally one out of a billion in China and India. Who cares? And I had to settle that. You know, I had to settle that, that I may never see my wife and daughters again me time but you know once I settle that it's easy Laura it's really I mean I don't say that in a flippant way trust me I love my wife and kids but I had to come to a point where I say you know what it's about the gospel and if God's called me for this and that's the choice I made I mean we sing I stand with hearts abandoned what in the world does that mean what does it cost you to come to church this morning seriously and what did it cost you? I'll tell you how much our religion is worth. How much it costs you is how much it's worth. And it's painful. But I want to speak and draw us back to that courageous Christianity. It's not a shame. Paul says, listen, if I die, hey, that's gain. I mean, try this exercise. Substitute for me to live is... Take Christ out and put something else. Okay, what is it? For me to live is to build my own house by the lake. To die is what? You give it up. Are you going to live in the house on the lake? No. For me to live is to earn money and become very... Are you going to take it with you? To die is what? Leave it behind. Have you ever seen a U-Haul follow a hearse? No, you can't take it with you. For me to live is health, sports, fitness. To die is what? You're dead. You're a corpse. I'm sorry, it doesn't sound good, but it is true. You can decorate a dead body, it's still a dead body. I read a sticker the other day. The one who dies with the most number of toys still dies. I mean, we realize for me to live, you take, any, you take Christ out and put anything else, to die is loss. There's only one word that makes sense in that verse 21. For me to live is Christ and only then to die is what? To be with Him. That would be glory. Church, how long are we going to live in this world? We sing this world is not my home. It's our passage. It's not our portion. 
And the older we get, the more realize, more we, I mean, when a guy's dying, does he say, well, show me my stocks from Wall Street? Is that what he says? He's like, where are the grandkids? Has my daughter come? Isn't it? I mean, what are those things that really matter? They are not transactional stuff. They are relational stuff. For me to live is Christ. Got to take the gospel. Very quickly, how did Paul do this? You see, Paul settled it. In Acts chapter 9, after he, was, he met Jesus, he was blinded and he's sitting there. A prophet called Ananias comes and says, Brother Saul. Imagine, for the first time, being called brother. Saul of Tarsus. He's from Cilicia in Tarsus. He comes as a foreign exchange student to the University of Jerusalem and he studies under the double PhD Gamaliel. Okay, that's Paul. He goes all the way to Damascus. This is in Syria. He goes to Damascus to persecute Christians. He meets Christ. He tries to arrest Christians. He's arrested by Christ. And two questions. Lord, who are you? Second question. Lord, what do you want me to do? Anna says very simply, this is Acts chapter 9, verse 15 and 16. You are chosen. You're a chosen vessel. Oh, wow. God's chosen me. Mm-hmm. Protestant work ethic. You know, wow, that's really good. I belong to the inner circle. And here we are, Jesus and I, you know, all this stuff with intimacy. He says, you know what? You are chosen to take the gospel, Paul. And you will take it to Gentiles, Paul. And you will stand before governors and kings, Paul. I mean, once, and you know what else it says? And God will show you how great things you must suffer. Wrong number, you know, <laughs> not me. I mean, people lose the call once you tell them the cost. The call disappears once you present the cost. Paul knew from day one what Dietrich Bonhoeffer has been pumping. The cost of following Jesus. The cost of desire. No cheap grace. And once Paul settled it, hey... I don't know. He couldn't care less. I believe Paul was married. He couldn't have been a Pharisee of the Pharisee, part of the Sanhedrin, if he wasn't married. He couldn't have written Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 anyway. I mean, how did Paul, maybe his wife left him. Imagine being married to the guy. Terrible. I would leave him. I mean, you know. But Paul said, listen, I, it's all about the gospel. And we all make sacrifices. I'm sorry. Mission and martyrdom goes is synonymous. The ultimate word for witness in scripture is where we get the word martyr. You're a witness. The ultimate witness is a martyr. Paul settled that. In church, this is something that's very interesting. He follows the word of God and he comes all the way as far as he can in Asia. And he comes to a place called Troas. I was there actually last month in Troas. Beautiful city. Seaport. He comes there, the agency, and he's like, oh, where else do I go? The spirit forbades him going into Bithynia, the upper part of Asia. He looks at the sea. Where's he going to go? When there's no other way to look, where do you look? Paul waits on the Lord. Isaiah 40, 31. They who wait on the Lord shall what? God strengthens him. And in the night, he hears a voice. He has a vision of a man from Macedonia. Acts 16 verse 9. This is in the Bible. I'm not telling a story. He sees a man from Macedonia. And he says, listen, Paul, would you come over and help us? Have you had a Macedonian call? I'm talking about reaching those who are not like you, who are not near you. 
Many of us don't even like to watch what's happening in other countries because we are all Ameriocentric. It's all about me. Recently, I did something naughty. I took a map of the world, and instead of putting Europe, by the way, all maps were created from Europe, right? So Europe is always in the center. Have you ever seen a map where Africa or Asia is in the center and America split on the sides? It's like, this is not a real map. It is a real map. You're not in the center. That's the only difference. And it changes perspective. Seriously, I try this all the time. Try and put yourself in another culture. Very quickly, what Paul does, he says, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. You see, obedience is 101 in missions. Have you obeyed the call? Why do you need a special call when you got a command to go? You need a command to stay because it's already a command to go. Think about this. Why do you need a vision when you got a verse? So very important, church. Paul takes his companions, Timothy, Silas, Dr. Luke, the physician, because he was seasick all the time. And that's where we get the Luke and we passages. And then he takes Silas. He goes there, and you know what he finds out? Are you ready? Cross culture. Crossing boundaries, penetrating barriers. That's what missions is about. You say, what barriers and what what boundaries are you talking about? Okay, Paul is a Jew, well-versed in Hebrew. Hebrew of the Hebrews, right? He comes to this place called Philippi. There is a geographical displacement. He has to cross a boundary. He is in Asia. He's now in Europe. Philippi, by the way, is the first church Paul plants in the continent of Europe. First church on the second missionary journey, okay? He goes there and he says, I'll do what I do. I start in the synagogues, I win the winnable, and then I go on the streets, and with them, hopefully, win the rest of them. That was Paul's strategy. Roland Allen's look at spontaneous expansion of the church. That's a great strategy. So he goes and he's, he looks around. There's no synagogue. No synagogue? No. Hello? Uh, where's the synagogue? Huh? Where's the synagogue? Huh? You don't speak Hebrew? Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, okay. Oh, I'm cultured in Greek. Where's the synagogue? Huh? You don't speak Greek? No. What do you speak in this place? We're a Roman colony, Philippi. By the way, it's named after Alexander the Great's father, Philippi, the lover of horses. Oh, really? Excuse me for living. I mean, well, how did you guys get here? We are retired Roman officers, and this is Florida. I'm sorry. This is <laughs> Philippi. When we retire, we come here, we don't have to pay taxes, we have no obligation, we've done our service, we settle here in peace. It's very affluent. What are you doing here, scumbag? And like, I'm Paul. Paul who? Well, I used to be Saul. That sounds better. Well, what do you want? I want to tell you about the gospel. Where are you from? Jew. Hey, get out. It's Philippi. You know, Paul has been so frustrated. Did you see the number of barriers he crossed? Not just geography, linguistic, ethnographical, sociopolitical. I mean, this is a, a city that's filled with all kinds of gods. The Roman pantheon. And he belongs to Shema, you know, Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is what? Monotheism. 
Now he's dealing with this rhythm of gods. Can you see? It's not easy when you try to reach those who are not near you and who are not like you. What does he do? Wrong number, going back. No. He says, this is where you've got to use, you know, your mind. And we evangelicals have two minds. One is lost and the other has gone looking for it, you know. <laughs> he says, listen, if there were Jews, where would they be? Where would they be? Ah, bar mitzvah. They have this ceremony. When you come of age, you go through running water and you baptize these guys. You know, it's a rite of passage. Okay, if I need to find running water, where would I find running water? He goes by the river of flowing water. You know who he meets there? A lady called Lydia. Someone's read their Bible. Lydia. Who's Lydia? She's from Tyatera. She's a filthy rich, 101 Dalmatian lady. Can you see her? She's there by the water. And she's got this purple dye that's making lovely garments. And she's got all these models. Have you seen those models who walk like this, you know? Have you seen them? She's got this house full of really sexy models. And Paul goes there. And can you see these three Baptist single preachers? Well, they believed in baptism. And so they're there. And Lydia says, come to my house and stay with us tonight. Now, how many of you would like to go? I mean, how many Baptist preachers would go? I mean, in which culture would that be right? Apropos. Would that be right or wrong? Well, honestly, it doesn't matter what you think. Paul went. Paul went and he, and, and he goes to this house and he shares the gospel. See, missions, sometimes you have to cross boundaries that you and I are counterculture. We're talking about that. You know what God does? He doesn't just open Lydia's home. The text says he opens Lydia's heart. Just tell us about the gospel. You know who gets saved? Not just Lydia. Lydia. Community. She and her household. See what the gospel is? Church is about a household of God. God is drawing us as families, not as independent people. We need more of community today. So he goes and he gives the gospel and she comes to know Christ. Next thing, my time is gone. He goes there by the streets and there's this demon-possessed girl. He casts the demon out and she has this evil spirit of Pythion, some snake god. And he shuts her off. You know what she does? She follows Paul. Think of Lydia, upper class, rich, slave, demon-possessed. You see the difference? First two members of the First Baptist Church in Philippi. The guy gets thrown in prison, all right? Because the business is lost, it's all about the bucks, okay? This is America. So he goes to prison and he's in prison. In the middle of the night, we don't know where the other guy, Paul and Silas is there, they start singing like Pastor Bill and Brent. You know? They're like out of tune, of the singing loud, and those prisoners, <laughs> those prisoners, you know, like Ray Kilman, are just sitting there. And they're like, shut up! And they're singing really, okay, now the refrain, hallelujah, whatever. And they said, who's in charge? Tell those guys to say, it's middle of the night. So the jailer comes, right? And God sends an earthquake. My chains fell off. I mean, those prison doors, and I've been to that place, you can go into, this is like maximum security stuff, Alcatraz. The doors fling open. And the jailer says, okay, that's it. Pax Romana, life for life. They might as well kill myself. They're going to kill me because the prisoner is asking. Hey, hold on. What are you doing? He says, I'm dying. Why? Any problem? He says, no. No. 
You know, I've heard people preach about the miracle of the earthquake. Church, there's a greater miracle. You know what the greater miracle was? Every one of those maximum security prison prisoners were still there. And Paul says, look around. We're still here. Something winsome about the gospel. You can use a megaphone, but it's better to be a magnet to draw people to Jesus. And the jailer says, Acts 16.30, what must I do to be? And Paul simply says, take membership. Do the Alpha Course. Seven Steps to Life. Is that what he says? He says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall be saved. You and your household, community. Church, if I can take another five minutes or so, let me, let me, let me ask you this. Do you see how many barriers he had to cross? He's a male. Lydia's a female. He's a Jew. They're all Gentiles. He's a monotheist. They are polytheists. He's come there as a ragaboard. I mean, not much. These are a wealthy retirement colony. They don't even speak the language he knows. But they sense the love of Jesus and the power of the gospel. The gospel is unstoppable. The question is, are you and I part of it? You can read the rest of the story. I want to leave you with just three things you can do to be part of the unstoppable gospel. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and see how he starts. And I want to challenge you as a church to do this for your missionaries. Laura, are you taking notes? Number 1, verse 3. I thank my God upon every what? Remembrance of you. Paul had this church. I mean, I just described to you the first day, right? When he first went to Philippi. That was what Paul was thinking about. How they came to know Jesus Christ. The first three members. Look around in our church. Do you have that different stratas in our community? Look around. Where do the other rag muffins go in Maine? Do they come to church? Okay, they don't come to church. Is church willing to go to them? Think about that. People from all nations are coming to us. Are we going to them? Are you willing to cross boundaries? You know, you will if you have them on your mind. Paul says, I remember you. You say, well, it's hard to think about them. I'm very busy. You know what Paul did? I thanked my God upon every remembrance, always and every what? Prayer. So Paul not only had them on his mind, he had them in his Class, come on. On his, no, first, on his, in his prayers. Do you pray for one another? Seriously, you need to be praying. We're living in tough times. God does not do anything apart from prayer and answer to prayer. You study any movement. You know what it spawned with? Prayer. It was sustained by prayer. Are you praying? Praying for missions? Do you know your missionaries by name? I mean, not this guy, Chris Nyanakin, with a tan. But do you know people who you may not know, who's not an impressive speaker, who's not very smart, who doesn't have those funny things like PhD? My daughter calls it a permanent head damage, you know. I mean, do, I mean, do you pray for them? They are standing in the front lines for you. Have them on your... Have them in your... Look at verse 7. You know why he had them in his mind and in his prayer? Because he brought them one foot lower. He had them where? Church, if you have someone in your heart, you will spend time. 
You will spend time thinking about them. You will spend time what? Praying for them. So the question actually boils down to what Jesus asked. Do you really love me? Do you really love missions in this church? Yes or no? Do you love missions? Some of you are like, okay. If you love missions, if it's in your heart, it will be on your... And it will be in your... Now, is that rocket science? Can you do that? This was Paul's thank you letter to a church that had him on his mind, on their mind, and had him in his prayer because they had Paul in his heart. I have people here in this church that have me in their prayers and heart. I am so thankful. I sense that strength when I go to people. I mean, they did more than that. They also had him in his wallet, in their wallets. They sent money to him. But I want to say something else. And I challenge the first service and I want to challenge you. Paul, with all that, sat down. And he had them. Not only on his mind, in his prayer, because he had in his heart, he put them down with his pen. He wrote to them. He communicated to people he loved. When did you write and tell your pastor you love him? Don't tell him now, he'll have a heart attack. But tell, when did you write and say to your missionaries, we've been thinking about you? Do you know, there's people in small groups here that write and say, Chris, we're meeting, well, what's going on? Wow, that blesses me. Somebody in Waterville, Maine. I mean, when I first came to Maine, my colleagues in Singapore said, where are you going? I said, uh, in America. I said, yeah, but where in America? I said, Maine. They said, no, which state? I said, it is called Maine. He said, Maine is the name of a state. I mean, a lot of people don't even know Maine is a state in America. I said, where in Maine? They said, Bangor. The what? Is it next to Bangalore? No, no, no. This is in Maine, in America. They Google Earth. You know, all these Asians are techie. Oh, you are in Canada. <laughs> I'm saying, you Google Earth and find out. You're almost in Canada. If you look at it, you know, it zooms in like, oh, Canada. I said, I swear I'm in Maine. It doesn't matter where you are. You have one another. Class, number one, you have each other in your? Second, you have them in your? Because you have them in your? And then put it down in your pen. Write to them. Have them in your pen. Which I said, text them, email them. I don't know what means of communication you are. The fastest means of communication is tell a woman. You know, whatever you do. (laughs) Sorry, but whatever means of communication you can, would you do that? Here's my challenge to us. Thank you so much for having me. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you with a simple invitation. I've talked today about missions. I've challenged us to start where God has planted you. Reach those who are like you, who are near you. Why else did God put you next to them? And I don't drive any wedge between the so-called secular and sacred. Grace baptizes and bathes all together. You don't have to be ordained. The only ordination in the Bible, technically, is John 15, 16. You've not chosen me, Jesus. I've chosen you and ordained you. So you're, there you are. You're all ordained. Okay. Now, wherever you are, would you be a missionary? Would you gossip the gospel? Just tell them the story. Is that complicated? Secondly, is the Holy Spirit nudging you? you are, you're reaching those who are near you, like you. I want to challenge you. There are so many people and nations coming to America. Have you known the gospel? Is your life worthy of, your go- of the gospel with your lips, but also with your lifestyle? Are you willing to labor side by side together for the faith of the gospel? 
Would you do that as a church? Say, you know, we are going to make a consolidated effort to reach those who are not like us, but who are coming to the city of Waterville. What a wonderful thing to do. The mission field is in our backyard. What are we doing? God's going to hold us accountable. We've not gone to the nations. Nations are coming to us. Are we willing to be witnesses? Then I want to push the boundary to a third level. Would you pray? Would you have me on your mind? Have your missionaries. I know you have so many missionaries. It doesn't have to be me. Would you have them on your mind? Think about them. Would you put them in your prayer? Would you really nurture us in your heart? Would you write to us through your pen? That is how you engage in missions. That is how, in spite of all these boundaries we need to cross and barriers we need to penetrate, you, church, and I can be a living bridge. Connecting the text, the gospel, with the culture where people live. This is the text. This is the context. Would you be a bridge wherever God placed you to gossip the gospel? Would you? Think about it. I'll tell you three things about a bridge and I'm going to pray for you. A bridge must be connected to both ends. If not, it's not a bridge. We just suspend it. You know? Are you connected to both ends? We have a church that holds forth the wonderful words of life. Would you take that where you live? Would you, be, would you connect theology with ethics, the way, what you believe and how you behave? That's how you live a life worthy of the gospel. People see it. Let your light so shine stuff. Secondly, if you're going to be a bridge, you better be strong. There's going to be all kinds of winds of adversity that's going to blow, and it's blowing. Blowing out of Augusta, it's blowing out of D.C. Are you willing to stand strong in the Lord, in the power of His might? Are you willing to stand together, verse 27, and work together for the, the faith of the gospel? A bridge must be strong. Number one, a bridge, bridge must be connected to both ends. Secondly, a bridge must be strong. Are you willing to be that? Yes? Or no? Don't do the Asian thing. Maybe yes, maybe no. Are you willing to connect both ends? Are you willing to be strong? Are you willing to be a bridge? Wait till I say the third one. You may not. You know what's the third characteristic of a bridge? A bridge must be willing to be stepped upon and walked all over. Are you willing to be a bridge? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for the awesome privilege of being here, Lord. Thank you for your word, which is potent. It is powerful in and of itself. Help us preachers to get out of the way so that the word will do its work. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for members of our church and for those whom you are speaking to be a bridge where they are, but to move the boundaries and cross the barriers and be living bridges to reach those who are not like us, near us, who are not like us, who are not even near us. Help us to have one another on our minds, in our prayers, upon our hearts, and through our pens. Let's communicate Christ. If God has spoken to you this morning and say, Chris, pray for me. I'm not the strongest one around. I'm weak. But I do want to be a bridge. I want to connect people to Christ wherever I am. I'm willing to consider reaching out to people with the gospel. Gosp- gossip the gospel. Pray for me. I want to be a bridge. Pray that I'll be strong. 
I'll be willing to deal with people who are willing to step up or step on me. Paul did that. He had opposition everywhere. If that's your prayer, you say, I want to be a bridge to share Christ in whatever way, through my lips, maybe I'm not bold enough, through my labor together in this church, well, at least by my life, my lifestyle, worthy of the gospel so that it will advance. If that's your prayer and your commitment, I want to pray for you. Would you stand where you are if you make that commitment? Don't feel ashamed. Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to beg. I'm not going to plead. No music, nothing to kind of create an emotional atmosphere. Very simple decision. But you know, if you stand, you better be serious because God may hold you to it. If you don't mean it, don't stand. I can see you, but God knows all our hearts. That's what's important. But I think standing up with people who love you in a church that preaches the word, at least then you will stand up in the world. If you don't stand up in church, if God speaks, how in the world are you going to stand up in the world? I don't know. Would you do that if God's speaking to you? Say, Chris, pray for me. I don't know how, when, and I'm not strong enough, but I do want to be a bridge. I want to connect people where I am with Jesus. I do want to cross my comfortable boundaries my comfort zone to boundaries and I want to be a blessing to others. Father God, I pray for the many of us on our feet. Again, Lord, we are not standing on strong feet. We are fickle. We fall. We trip all the time. Holy Spirit, would you hold us to this commitment so that we can be a church that's known to be gospel-driven? That's what drives us. Jesus We are willing to not only bear it, but we are willing to even in times like this suffer for it. We want to participate both in grace and have guts to go through the struggle because the Lord is with us. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. Lead us from here as we go into the mission field and leave these doors. Would you help us to connect people to Christ? Be living bridges. We'll be careful to give you all the glory. Could the rest of us stand as I close in prayer and benediction? Father God, thank you for giving me the awesome privilege and opportunity to be with friends, to be a missionary from this great church who loves Jesus, who celebrate him. I thank you so much for our pastoral staff who shepherd our souls. I pray that you'll give them discernment and courage in times like this. I thank you for our members. And Lord, we are salt in a salt shaker here. Lord, shake us. Put us in the soup where we make a difference in this world. Thank you, Lord, for giving us one another. And thank you for giving us your Son, our Savior, in whose precious and powerful name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace and live dangerously.